0: Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing with our guest speakers as today we get to hear from Wes Nelson. Wes is an elder at Bethesda Church and has often filled the pulpit here at our church and many other local churches. Today, Wes will be speaking on the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Wes.
1: This morning we are in 2 Kings chapter 5. And what's going on at this point in history, it's about 850 BC give or take. It's far enough back, I don't think it really matters. I don't think anybody remembers and can correct me. But uh It's roughly 850 B.C., 850 years before Christ is born. Joram, some of your translations may say Joram, some may say Jehoram. In either case, it's a son of Ahab and Jezebel, who is king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And it's kind of a weird dichotomy in Israel. One, there is still, we think of Israel at this time being destitute and put upon There is still a lot of money. There is a lot of wealth. There is a lot of money to be had in Israel at this time. However, spiritually, morally, they are bankrupt. To the north of Israel, you have Syria. And there's an uneasy truce at this time. There's on-again, off-again war between these two countries. Ben-Hadad has come to power, he's gone on, he's died. His son, or his grandson, Ben-Hadad II, is now the king. And again, he's got political aspirations. You have the Assyrians making a lot of noise farther north and east of them. But Syria is a force to be reckoned with, and at this point in Israel's history, there's this uneasy peace, which could easily be broken. To the south, you have Judah, And if you go back to 1 Kings, after Solomon's death, his son is an idiot. And as a result, on the day of his inauguration, the day of his crowning as king, civil war breaks out. That's a day you'll always remember. And right now, there's an uneasy truce with Judah to the south. So sandwiched between these two strong, powerful kingdoms, you have Israel. And in Israel, you have a guy named Elisha, who has filled big shoes in Elijah as the prophet of God to Israel. And in Second Kings chapter 5, We'll just pick up and start reading in chapter, or verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Let's just stop here. And I just, it fits with me. Who would think that God would raise up three Muslim attorneys to defend a Christian in the train station? Why would God raise up Naaman the Syrian and give him great victory over Israel to further a pagan king like Ben-Hadad II? I don't know. But we know that it happened because it's here. Naaman was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Naaman's powerful He's respected and honored by one of the five most powerful men in the world at this time. He answers only to Ben Hadad. His name is the source of fear and loathing around the region. He's a leader of men. He leads men into battle who are willing to die for him and the cause of Syria. He's ruthless. He's brutal in battle. There's very little, if any, mercy shown to the prisoners and the peoples he defeats. And he's become fabulously wealthy from the loot, from the spoils of war, much of of which has been taken from Israel, from the northern border towns. Now, remember, right now, this isn't happening. There's an uneasy truce. All this is going on with Naaman, but here's the caveat. He was a leper. Now, I'm not talking about a spotted member of the cat family. He was a leper. He had leprosy. And in Scripture, when we see leprosy, it's just one of many varied and assorted skin diseases that had no cure. You know, when you say you have cancer, well, what's that mean? (laughs) I've got a spot on my ear or I've got a huge tumor in my brain. You know, there's anywhere on the spectrum of cancer from very serious to we'll take care of it in time. That's the way leprosy was. In Israel, any form of leprosy resulted in you being a social outcast. You were not allowed to live in town. You were not allowed to live in a home with your family. You You were just out there. Relying on the goodness of others. And the rest of the region, it kind of depended on who you were as to how you got treated. Naaman was respected, he was powerful. He had the ear of the king, the confidence of the king. So as long as he was physically able to perform his duties, he could hold his position. Verse 2 Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Wouldn't that, or would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. Why would she say that? As far as I know, nowhere in the Old Testament do we find anyone cured of their leprosy. It just didn't happen. Not that it couldn't, as we're going to find out. It just didn't happen. So what is it about this little girl to send Naaman down to Samaria to see the prophet? the king of Syria, so Naaman went and he told his lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Do it. You're far too valuable to me. Let's get this thing done. So Naaman went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, about 750 pounds of silver. That wasn't in his pocket. 6,000 shekels of gold, about 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, Joram, son of Ahab. And the letter read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And Joram's immediate response is, one moment, please. And he went in the other room, and he flipped out. He went bananas. What can I do for this guy? And why is, he, why is he worried? Only consider and see how he or Ben-Hadad is seeking a quarrel with me. They're looking for a reason to invade us, to break the truce, and take us all. It's an excuse, it's a trick. Who am I to give or take life? For a guy who did not worship Yahweh, he had a fairly good understanding of his own limitations. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, and once again, how would Elisha hear? Either it was gossip or maybe God revealed to him, but when the king is troubled, everybody around is troubled. troubled. You know, nobody rests easy until the king is in a good mood. Elisha says, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. Not that there's just a prophet in Israel. There were lots of false prophets in Israel. Let him know that there is a prophet of Yahweh, a prophet of creator God in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. So you can just see this. And now, this is in Israel where if you are a leper, you're not even allowed in the gates. And now he's standing at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha doesn't even get up. Wherever he's at in the house, he doesn't even get up to come out and talk to him, he sends a servant. To speak to one of the most powerful men in the world. This guy doesn't talk to anybody but the one in charge. You know how it is when the salesman shows up? The experienced ones ask this first. Who's the boss? Because they don't want to run through their spiel twice. They want to talk to the one who's capable of spending money and making decisions. This, Naaman talks to those people only. Only. And yet the servant of Elisha comes to the door. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Thanks so much for coming. Closes the door, goes back in and there stands Naaman and all of his stuff. And he is seething. He's been disrespected. In verse 11, but Naaman was angry. That's an understatement. And went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. He was expecting a show. The prophet would come out and abracadabra and hocus pocus and this and that, and whatever, and boom, the leprosy's gone. And instead, he sends his servant to tell me to go take a bath in the Jordan Are not the Abana and the Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? It's like someone coming from Pier who lives on the river, and they show up here and they ask Roy what they got to do to get better, and he says, you need to go take a bath at Lake Byron in the middle of August. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I can't see my toes in the water two inches below the surface. I could have done that in Pierre where I can see the fish at the bottom. And Naaman is furious. So he turned and he went away in a rage. We're going home. This is dumb. We wasted our time. But his servants came near and they said to him, and, and he's angry. Naaman does what he wants, doesn't have to answer for his actions. So his servants come to him cautiously. They come near to him. They sidle up close to him, respectfully, tactfully, and they say this. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? It's not hard. If it had been some great, powerful, crazy, hard, difficult, glorious thing, you would do it. Why don't, we're already here. Let's just go take a bath. So Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The leprosy wasn't just gone, but the wrinkles and the sun damage were gone as well. He had the skin of a little child. So then, verse 15, he returned to the man of God and all of his company, and he came and he stood before him. And now Elisha meets him. And why Elisha didn't meet with him to begin with? Had it to do with leprosy? Had it to, I don't know what the reasons were. We aren't told why he didn't. Maybe it probably doesn't matter then. But now he stands before Elisha, and they look each other eye to eye. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman was raised with idol worship. Naaman was raised serving false gods. He experiences God's healing, and now he knows there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on, Your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. And again, there's a cultural thing here. Every geographic location had its own gods. As you read through the Old Testament, it talks about the Baals. Every piece of property had its own Baal or its own little god to provide for and care for that piece of property. And so Naaman has still got all this pagan thinking. Remember, he's new. (laughs) He's two hours into this relationship with Yahweh. He's still learning. He's got a lot, long way to go. But he says, let me bring some dirt back. Because if I bring dirt back, then I know I can bring God back with the dirt. Not the way it works, but he's, he's getting there. All right? And so Elisha agrees. And he says, oh, but wait, 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 there's one more thing. There's one more thing. And Naaman's already thinking ahead. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant, when my master the king goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there leaning on my arm and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And the prophet said go in peace. He knew that because of his position he had official duties to perform. And he didn't want there to be a misunderstanding that when I go into the house of Rim I'm forgetting Yahweh. Now, there are other examples of individuals that would not bow. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We think of Daniel. But the difference is, those are young men raised in Judah. They understood what God expected. Naaman's new. He's learning. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. It's easy to read over that. Naaman the Syrian. You can almost hear the disgust dripping off Gehazi's tongue. He's not a Jew. He doesn't deserve this. He shouldn't have this. He's Naaman the Syrian. Perhaps Gehazi has family members killed or enslaved as a result of Naaman's armies coming into Israel. Most certainly, they've lived under the fear of Naaman and his armies. Naaman the Syrian. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. He has gotten wealthy off our backs. And I'm going to get something. Is the motivation pure greed? Perhaps. If I put myself in Gehazi's shoes, maybe it has less to do with greed and more just an anger or a bitterness for what has been inflicted on my people. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And Gehazi said, All is well. My master sent me to say, Well, there's a lie. There has just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of prophets. There's the second lie. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents of silver. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags and with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, what hill? The hill of Samaria, where the city of Samaria is built. It was just known as the hill. When they came to Samaria, the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Kind of like when you know your kids have been up to something, you may even know what they've done. You don't really need to ask, but you want to hear it from their mouth. Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. That's the dumbest lie yet. As you get into chapter 6 and 7, and you read about Elisha, he was a guy that knew what was going on before it was going on. You didn't lie to the guy and get away with it. And his servant, the guy who's been with him for I don't know how long, hopefully not more than three hours, if he doesn't know who he's lying to, your servant went nowhere. But Elisha said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, you know, this wasn't about money. This wasn't about advancement. This wasn't about making a name for ourselves. That's not what this was about, Gehazi. So therefore... The leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So what? It's a story. I believe it's a true story. What do we do with it? If it's just a story to tell our kids, it's not enough. Naaman was a proud man. He's a powerful man. But his leprosy was something he could not do anything about. His power couldn't fix it. His money couldn't buy a cure. His position wouldn't bring healing. There was nothing he could do. He was stuck. So he goes where the only hope was. And I'm sure he'd tried other cures. I'm sure he'd been other places and done other things. And when he receives word of what he is to do to receive the healing, it's beneath him. And yet he responds how? He humbles himself. That's something Naaman hasn't had to do for years. Is humble himself. And act in obedience to another. It appears that he experiences a genuine change of heart when out of his humble obedience, the humbling of himself, that he receives the mercy and the grace and the healing from only Yahweh, the only one that could provide it, the only one who could give it. He was a proud man with a lot of accomplishments, with a lot to his name, who humbled himself, laid it aside in obedience. Then you have Gehazi. He, too, is a proud man. He's one of God's chosen people. I've got all the answers you ask the question and I can give you the answer and maybe even a the general direction of the scroll of the law to tell you where it's at I've been with the prophet Elisha I know what's going on I may not have much but I've got the answers And it appears that he hardens his heart against God in order to extract some measure of justice for himself or his people. I don't know. But rather than humble himself in obedience, he hardens himself. He bows his back. Who are you? Frankly, I identify a lot more with Gehazi than Naaman. In part because, you know, I've always answered to somebody else. I've never carried that kind of weight. But also in the fact that I grew up in a home with mom and dad who knew and loved Christ who did their level best to raise each of their kids to do the same. I've got the answers. And yet the same thing required of Joe Pagan, who knows nothing about God, is the same that's required of me, that seemingly knows everything. It's to humble myself in obedience before our Creator. Isaiah says it in Isaiah 45, verse 23, and then Paul quotes it and kind of fills in the blanks in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, and again in Philippians 2, verse 10. And he says, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is, Will you do it of your own accord in this life? Or will you bow your knee at the judgment, forced to do so? Naaman bowed himself, humbled himself. Gehazi hardened himself. So this morning as you go, if there's something going on inside of you, if you've got that weird feeling in your stomach, just assume that's the Holy Spirit. Don't try to pass it off as something else. Just assume that that is God working in you. And if there are questions that you have and you're like, I want to make sure I got this right. I want to make sure I'm clear. I want to grab me grab Roy grab the person down the pew if they don't have the answer they'll find someone who does you want to get this right we need to get this right let's pray
0: we hope you've enjoyed today's message if you would like to know more about Bethesda church you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Hero. Have a blessed day.